Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Latina abstract painter Marisol Teresa Martinez. She has lived and studied in Paris, Miami, and Los Angeles. Daughter of a funeral director, Marisol inherited her father's business after his passing in 2017. As a result, her works emerge from mornings spent at the funeral home and afternoons and evenings spent in the studio and their constant mingling of presences. Broader inspiration follows a family lineage of women whose creativity encouraged Marisol to express herself visually. Artist influences such as Carmen Herrera, Agnes Martin, Alma Thomas, Lucita Hurtado, and Joseph Albers are deeply faceted components in her process and work. She earned her BBA in Design and Art Marketing from Parsons School of Design, having attended both New York and Paris campuses. Enjoy this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring painter Marisol Teresa Martinez. Marisol, I am delighted to feature you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Phyllis. I am delighted to be here and very honored and um, excited, actually. Very excited. Well, at what point did you realize you were really interested in the visual arts? It's not something that like is pinpointed. It's just something that has been um, because the family that I came from and the people around me and what I was raised in was just um, creative. I don't think I realized that that was creativity. Uh, I just, it was normal. My grandmother crocheted and sewed and my uncle painted and people played instruments. And there was all this kind of like, I mean, creativity and art around me. Um, So it wasn't until I was older, I guess, that I realized like, oh, that's being creative. You know, I wasn't cognizant of that when I was young because this is just, you're just growing up and you're just kind of like, entrenched in all this you know my dad's family's from puerto rico my mom's family's from colombia and uh both cultures are very vibrant and the music and art and um yeah so i didn't i don't think it was something that was like oh you know until later on when i you know started like i made my prom dresses and all my like junior prom dresses with my mom and my grandmother and i designed them and sketched them and we made them together so that's when i realized i actually had the ability to be creative because i had ideas that i was able to put down and then make and so maybe that was like the first moment that i realized you know that i had the bug was there a particular artist or a particular style of painting that you were drawn to Definitely abstraction, hence 
why I paint abstraction. I love color. It's it's kind of funny and people joke around about it because I am not a person that wears a lot of color. I basically stick to black and neutrals uh, during the summer. So I don't tie um, uh, from the heat. But um, so the color thing is just kind of interesting. Uh, growing up in a funeral home and being around that environment of you know, in Latino culture, you wear black to the funerals. I think that unconsciously that was just something that was in me. And it just like also lent to my personality of being a very private person. So the alter ego or the attraction of like color and abstraction and just like it being something that wasn't obvious to me was interesting to me. Like I love mystery and I love trying to figure out like, what is that saying? What's that saying to me? What's that saying to the person? What was the artist saying? What were they trying to say? So like Rothko is like somebody that, that attracted me early on because I would just sit there and look at the colors and like the eeriness of it. And I didn't know much about Rothko when I was looking at his paintings when I first saw them when I was younger. And then I started to like look at them more and get into it more and look at his documentaries. And I realized like that eerie feeling was his depression. And I caught that. And then I was like, oh yeah, abstraction's my, my thing because it's emotion. And that's basically like what I paint is emotion you know, through color and through geometrics and, and circles and shapes and stuff like that. So that was basically like how that came, how blood I'm attracted to. Yeah. And how would, how would you define your practice? That's a good question. I would just find it like weirdly in a, quiet, you know, I let the work speak for itself. And within my practice of being in my studio or at home, I paint wherever uh, I'm most comfortable, you know? So if that means that like it's in my apartment at home, I'll, I have canvases all over the place, you know, like ready to go. Or if not, I go to my studio. If I want to work on something that, you know, you know, I feel like I need to be in the studio for, then I'll go there and do it. But it's kind of like a limitless thing. But what I do know about my practice is that like, it's very still, I would stare at a canvas probably for a couple hours before I lay anything down just because that first like that first moment that first lay down that first like you know shape or color or whatever pretty much dictates the rest of the painting and so once I do that I have to commit you know because what I don't like to do and what I don't do is go over things so once the once it's laid down, that's where it's going. And if that means that I don't like where it's going, it's cool. It's fine. I'll just start a new canvas all over again. You know, I kind of let it be what it is. And sometimes people love them. And I find that a lot of times with artists, the one that you hate the most are the ones that the people love the most. So nothing is like ever a waste. You know, there's something for everybody. And so I just kind of like allow that process to kind of unfold in that way if that makes sense so do you listen to music at all when you work I do listen to some music and again because like I'm an emotional painter <laughs> uh it depends like yesterday I was working on the painting and it warranted just silence you know and the day before that I was working on another painting and I was listening to a podcast and you know there are times where you know, I need more energy 
right? To kind of like make the work, I'll listen to salsa music because that gets me going every single time. Like it, no fail. Like it puts me in the happiest mood. I'm like a crazy lover of salsa music and salsa dancing. And it just is kind of like makes me happy. So it helps the workflow out like quicker and more like joyful. There's, you know, there's a lot of contemplation, you know, in what I'm going to do next because I don't pre-draw anything and I don't, um, I don't use rulers or tapes or like anything. Everything is like freehand. I have to be very, uh, like my body has to feel very calm and very still in order to get those lines until order to figure out like, what color am I going to use next? That's going to match that color. That's going to enhance that color or, you know, what shape is going to make this more interesting than, you know, than that, the next shape or on and on and on. So it's kind of an emotional thing. It's like day to day. And when, when do the titles of the work enter the creative process? The titles sometimes. So when I started doing the cut, like early on in the practice, I was just painting like these very, you know, like these big color paintings using varied colors. And I just really had no idea why I was coloring, like why I was painting that, why that was coming out, why the circles were happening. I didn't know. And in talking to like other artist friends and, and, you know, just like friends and people in general, I was just like, I'm painting this and I have no idea what I'm painting. And I don't know like why this is coming out and what do I even, I, I don't even know what, how do you title that? Like what it's like, you know, and I didn't want to go into the untitled number one or untitled number two, though. I do have some stuff like that, but that's only for now. I can, I, I, I can change the titles later on down the line when the work goes out, they're not works that are out yet, you know? So when the color thing happened, I was just like, to be honest with you, this is really just color theory. And so I just titled that series color theory. And it was very simple and it came to me. And then as, you know, time went on and I was explaining it to people, explaining color theory to people and explaining like, you know, sometimes like if I start with a red, I might use that red to go to the next color, you know, to produce the next color. So it's just kind of made sense to just name it color theory. Did you ever lean towards figurative work at all? I didn't. I was at Parsons and they made us, <laughs> they made us do, you know, like the male nude classes and the naked, you know, the nude drawing classes. And they took us down to Wall Street to like, you know, uh, draw chickens that are like hanging from a pole for like dimension with the, And I was like, this is not for me. I'm like, this, this, this is not, it's too obvious and too easy. I'm not, I like, I like to figure things out. I like to have deep conversation. I like, I don't want something surfaced, you know? And for me, looking at someone that looks like me is kind of like easy for me. Not to say I don't love love figurative work. I do. I have favorites and I have people I think are like that technical skill is just something I don't have. And I admire it in people that do. You know, and I just, it's not something maybe like later on down the line, but I think that that is like, uh, that is definitely a talent that, you know, I don't think I have. So, how did COVID affect your practice? That is a very loaded question <laughs> because I, my family owns funeral homes and I got pulled 
uh, and I won't say pulled, I've been part of it. My father passed away in 2017. And when he passed away, I, um, you know, obviously inherited a portion of the business with my brothers and my mom is the day-to-day -day manager. And we are, it's like all, all hands on deck kind of situation. I'm more of the, um, you know, like IT, like bookkeeping, accounting, like more of the marketing, more of that kind of stuff for the business. Like, um, and they're like the day-to-day -day hands on stuff. But when COVID happened, I literally had to rearrange my entire life and basically spend my mornings and afternoons like working from the funeral home and then going to the studio at night to paint. And that just made me like, it was my safe space. It was very difficult time. Our funeral home, and I've never, uh, and my mom, who's been there, you know, all 50 years that it's been open, she's never seen anything like that. And I was on the verge of like getting um, Epstein's bar from like the stress. And so I had to like calm myself down. And so basically, I went into the studio every single night and was just producing and producing and producing and producing. And that was my way of getting away from the intensity and the emotional stress that I was feeling from having to go through COVID with the funeral home. And yeah, it just made me realize how much of, how much painting has helped heal my, my life in so many ways. And that's kind of like what, what I want the work to do for people as well. Can you look at work you produced pre-COVID and compare it to what you produced the last couple of years and, and see a difference? I actually went from having all the shapes being connected to each other. And once COVID happened, the work after all the shapes started to become separate. And so the show that I did with Latchkey was the introduction to the series called The Space Between Us, which ended up being in response to COVID because all of a sudden we went from being like together all the time to essentially not being together at all and creating this space between us and what was going to happen afterwards. You know, the conversation of like COVID affecting our society and our communities and our friendships and our relationships with people, you know, it created space. And that space was either going to open up something beautiful or if it was going to actually open up the truths about things people didn't want to see. During that time, those evenings, did it feel different to you was when you approached a, a blank canvas? I mean, did you, would you reflect on your day? I would reflect on my day. I always, I'll just say this, and I'm going to be very transparent about it and, and very vulnerable right now. Whenever I approach a canvas, I don't approach it. I approach it with fear. You know, uh, it's an interesting thing. I don't go and be like, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, it's an, and I'm, I'm going to, it's going to come out the way that I want it to come out. And it's going to be great. Cause I know artists that are like that. And I, that's a beautiful thing for me. Like I approach a canvas and I look at it and I'm like, Oh, okay happen here <laughs> like you know uh, is this gonna is is is, is am, am, am i gonna do well is this do i you know i question everything comes into play like am i talented is my hand gonna be still do i really like all those insecurities come into play but then once i lay down that thing and the flow happens it's a whole other like thing it's a whole other person i am like 
there. I'm in the painting. I'm like, if it's a huge painting, I'm like on top of the painting, like literally creating dents and then like having to like undent the painting because I get myself physically like in it, you know? And all of a sudden I'm just like in, in, in this like state of joy and bliss and complete like otherness, you know, I think it's like a very spiritual thing that happens to me when the flow clicks, you know, and during COVID that was like huge because, you know, when you're dealing with people dying and having to deal with, you know, families and, and just making sure that they're taken care of and that their emotional needs and everything that they, you know, need just from the perspective of burying a a loved one is, is a lot. It's a lot, you know, and you're giving, giving, giving and serving, serving, serving with pleasure, by the way. I mean, I really look at, you know, the funeral home as a blessing to learn how to understand human behavior, to learn how to understand death, afterlife, how people to have empathy, to have compassion and to really like help, like you're helping people at the like worst part of their life. Like everybody fears death. There's nothing worse than like what death and taxes, you know? So to be able to be in the position to help people and to have people come back to my family or to me or to my brothers, my mom, and just be like, thank you so much. Like I would have not been able to make it through without like you guys, you know, I don't, there's no feeling better in the world. It's like when someone says to me, like your painting makes me happy and I feel that energy. And when I look at it, you know, I get so much joy. I mean, there's nothing better than that. I'm going to change the subject sort of abruptly. Do you feel black and brown art can be defined? Another loaded question, Phyllis. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say no, because I want to say that we're all human. and, And at the end of the day, like, that's what I want. I want the black and brown conversation to be like, not a conversation just so that we can all be allowed to be humans without that. But that's not the reality that we're living in currently. So currently, black and brown is being defined by the other world, by the outer world more so. I don't think that a lot of my black and brown friends that um, do the artwork are like saying, I'm a black artist, you know, like I think their work just speaks for itself, you know, in terms of whether or not they're black or brown artists, you know, like I have friends that are Latino artists that are painting about their culture and that right there speaks for it to be in the brown conversation, you know? And I have friends that do figurative work or abstract work that leans more towards like talking about their childhood and their whatever. And that leans to, or that lends to it being black art. You know, who's defining black and brown art? I don't know if it's necessarily the artist or more so the industry, you know? It's still kind of like in between about that. Like there's uh, there's obviously you know, artists that come from Africa or, you know, Puerto Rico or whatever that work in sculpture or different things that are so obviously defined as black and brown art, you know, but then you have abstraction artists that I'm friends with as well, who you don't necessarily don't know when you look at it, if it's a black or brown artist. What are you excited about right now? Um, besides this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm excited that I'm excited that I have a lot of great things coming up and I'm excited that, 
you know, for all the years that I've been trying to keep my head down, just do the work that it's getting, you know, some recognition um, and that more so than anything that people love it, you know, like when I did it. So when I did Latchkey, the XX show, um, we had a lot of programming and a lot of people came in and I just got so much amazing feedback. I also was in the residency um, with uh, Kate's Ferry and that residency was in back of the gallery. And so people would come to the back and I would have my pieces there. And every Saturday people would come, you know, like just gallery hopping. And then they would come in the back and we'd have conversations and just to hear like the response of what they thought or what they saw. It was just so joyful because it was their story. And that's what I love about abstraction. I like, I try not to title the pieces that are going to give you an idea of what that piece means to me. I try to title them in a way where it's kind of like, you know, a simple title, but you're allowed to like dictate what that is. So like the space between us for a lot of people that can mean a lot of different things. You know, it can mean that the space that was happening made us come to closer together or tore us apart. It's your story. So I feel like, you know, after the paintings are done or whatever, and I sit there with people, I mean, I've had people tell me, I see somebody riding a bicycle and I'm like, oh my God, I can't unsee that now. You're absolutely right. Someone's riding a bicycle, (laughs) you know? And I had this woman who's a environmentalist and an amazing woman. Um, She came to look at the work and she bought a paper piece and it was a green it was a green paper piece, monotone, like all these shades of green. And I asked her what attracted her to the piece. And she said, I see me and my mom on the farm. And I was like, I literally like, I cried. She's like, Oh my, like, she's like, don't cry. I'm like, no, but that's the thing. You know, that is the thing that I love. I love that. I did this like green abstraction paper piece and you saw you and your mom on your farm. You know, I didn't paint the farm. There was no farm. There's no grass. You know, I love that people have their own interpretation of my work. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. And this is our last question. How do you want your art to impact the way people think? I want people to look at my work and think about how they feel about their lives, how they feel about them, their, their existence in this world. I, as I keep saying, I'm an emotional painter. I'm also a person that, you know, is self-aware, self-reflective. I've, you know, been in therapy for 13 years, not so much because of, you know, like I have like major issues. I'm just very interested in the human psyche and how we behave. And I always want to understand why I behave a certain way or what made me feel like that. Or I don't want to react, you know, so I feel like, my paintings, I want them to be somewhat of a therapeutical kind of like interaction with them. I had a doctor, psychiatrist also purchase one of the pieces. And she said, I couldn't, I can't wait till my clients see these works to see their reactions to them. Cause a lot of what I really want people to get from them is to be in touch with their emotions, to understand their emotions and color does that, you know, abstraction does that. And that's why I paint abstraction. Thank you very much. I uh, I really appreciate uh, the conversation we've had. 
Thank you, Marisol. Thank you, Phyllis. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.